Hello and welcome to the Mental Health and Gaming Podcast. Once again, I am Bradley. We've got a special one this week because joining me, joining me, is not just my usual partner, Stu, but he's with the other founding member of Shawada Waddy. I've been practising this bit. It's gone out really badly, but I've got two of the founding members of Shawada Waddy. It's Stu and it's Brian. How are you doing both? Doing good. Yeah, good, thanks. I'm not sure about the Shawaddy Roddy reference. I'm not sure if Brian was no. even I was born. Like, I was like, what have I found? Like, yeah. I haven't found anything. <laughs> no, I, I saw Shawaddy Roddy was an answer on House of Games yesterday, so it was in my head. Okay. <laughs> That's the level of planning that goes into these. It's so sophisticated. I, I just end up thinking, like, did I have a conversation that I don't remember? Because that's very often the case. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. Stu's often on Ted hooks when I when I start a podcast to go, what's he gonna say? What's they gonna say? I keep misgendering myself this week. I don't know why. Only every week. I only feel completely discombobulated every single week. Apart from that, everything's fine. Good. <laughs> uh so just to let everyone know, we've got uh Brian on the show today, who is better known as BPD Brian on Twitter, who has borderline personality disorder. And the idea is we're going to talk to him a bit, little bit today um, about that um, and how video games plays a part in his life. Uh, just, just, just go with the flow a little bit. Um, but what I'm going to do, because otherwise I'll forget, I need to segue. I don't know how we segue this. I don't know if we go straight to talking about video games. But do you know what else talks about video games, Stu? No, go on. Brian does. Are we going to talk to Brian? Oh, yeah. Awesome. That's a segue. There we go. <laughs> so, Brian, I, just what I want to ask you first and foremost. Um, mm-hmm. You have borderline personality disorder. Yep. Um, and it's one of those that I think is... I think like schizophrenia, it's misrepresented in the media and the wider world as to what it actually is. Mm-hmm. It seems to be used in media as a shorthand for people having particular problems. It's a way to characterise them as sometimes the bad guy or a motivation for being the bad guy in a TV show or film or, mm-hmm. or something like that. When you look at, um, I think, Split. It's like it seems like an easy out to use that. So, explain to us what's it actually like having BPD. Yeah, I mean, well, so I think like I haven't seen Split, so I can't really comment. I'm not sure whether that's more about DID, which is dissociative identity disorder, um, but also I don't know whether it's just about the splitting trait of BPD. But I think that's also in DID as well. Um, but um, in my experience, I think like for me borderline personality disorder it like at the core is a fear of abandonment and like a combination of bullying chronic invalidation um abuse and trauma you know i think growing up for me i think like you were saying about like we're painting as the bad guy i think like everyone's been the bad guy at some point but i think i think the other thing as well like society doesn't want to look at attachment styles and kind of upbringing as to why people go towards certain relationships or certain people um you know it's very much everyone has this mindset of like well if everyone around you is the problem then you're the problem which can be the case but in terms of you know growing up in an abusive childhood and stuff you know like you go to people that feels familiar so you keep repeating that pattern um so you know whether it was partners or even friends you know i had people where they were quick to point the finger at me but never take responsibility themselves or even if i did call them out for something or be like oh well you haven't taken have you taken your meds oh you've got an attitude oh you're perceiving it wrong um and i went through that i think like definitely growing up like being the scapegoat of a family system and even friend groups, I think um, there's a hard line between, you know, kids being kids and p- kids just being utter assholes. Because mm. um, yep. I grew up on a council estate um, and at that point in the, like the nineties, early two thousands, there was a lot of kids on that estate. Um, so everybody would all kind of hang out and stuff. 
Um, but if something were to like go wrong or they got in trouble or something, I was always the first one they'd pin it on. Um, I remember there was an incident that was around somebody's house and I think the other two were like doing something. I think they were like jumping on the bed or something and I was just literally stood in the corner. The bed breaks and they blamed me for it, which resulted in their parents shouting at me. Um, I had someone else's parent hit me. Um, and, you know, like it was all. And I think also as well, like at school, it was always it would build and build and then I'd react. But I'd get punished for my reaction. Yeah. Despite them not doing the best efforts to put a stop to the bullying. It was always, oh, well, don't retaliate. Don't do anything. As if I was, I had to become a doormat to this kind, that kind of behavior. And, but I think with that fear of abandonment, when it came to especially romantic relationships, I feel romantic relationships are very much more a more triggering space for me. And so I remember, like, luckily, like with my partner now, I think we've built up enough trust where things aren't as a bigger deal, which I've never had in my life. So I think that's a testament to my growth um, and also the kind of relationships I've got now. But yeah. so what would happen is like I'd have a partner and like we'd put three kisses or something. Like I remember somebody I was with like about four years ago, like he would Snapchat me every day. He'd be like, Oh, good morning, babe, three kisses. But then one morning he'd put good morning, kiss, kiss, kiss without the babe. And I'm like, and I'd be convinced like, Oh, he's had enough of me. He's leaving me. What did I do? I'll start spiraling. Think what did I, what did I do? Then I'll be constantly messaging like, what have I done? I'm really sorry. And that, but then, Sometimes I'd think, oh, maybe they've done something. So not, then I'd kind of be like, oh, no, they've done, like, I'd kind of, kind of like constantly just message until I got an answer. Yeah. Um, which I, re- yeah. you know, I think I very much recognize that's toxic. Sometimes I know people with ADHD as well or BPD, they can unintentionally come across as if they're love bombing as well. Um, but I remember there was this guy that I was seeing in very early days, like, he called me up saying he was in a car accident. I was like, holy shit, like, I hope you're okay. Then my doorbell goes, so I go and answer it, and it's him. And he was oh. like, oh, I wanted to surprise you. I'm like, by telling me you had a car accident. Oh, dear. Like, it's one of those things, though. I think, like, I've developed, I think, unfortunately, I did develop stuff from people. Like, I think especially in a toxic family environment, for, for example, because I was the more sensitive one, I had a lot of people telling me, oh, you need to be more like me. You need to be more like this. So unfortunately, I think in some circumstances, I did pick up toxic traits from other people, despite me knowing like, or thinking, hang on, that doesn't seem right. But because it was coming from all, all angles, I'm like, oh, maybe they are right that I need to be more like that. Um, yeah. But I think it was since like stepping away, I'm like, no, you know, working on my, myself um and that's the, it also comes with like a lack of sense of self as well and the emotional dysregulation so for example like with like my my social media advocacy and stuff like i could have somebody say a negative comment or they blocked me because of something i've said despite it either not being true or they've misread something or you know it's just their opinion it doesn't necessarily mean it's fact about who i am as a person I will spiral and think, oh, maybe that is me unintentionally. Maybe I did this. Maybe I did do that. I'm a terrible person. And then I develop this thing like trying to fawn and like trying to apologize to them and change who I am to make everyone else comfortable, um, yes. which is still something very hard today. I, I um, was on Twitter the other day and somebody, I think they soft blocked me on Twitter. It's like we had been following each other for a while for like years and then found out that, that like we weren't following each other anymore and then i started going through a spiral again of like maybe i'm a really shitty person has somebody said something you know i've also had people i think because of like me being mentally ill i've had partners or people tell half truths yeah to again paint me as a bit uh, as the like abusive person or toxic person like for an example like um in my late teens, early 20s, I wasn't working because my mental health at that point was not great at all um, in terms of being able to work. Um, but I had a particular friend and she would message me like, oh, do you want to go out Friday night? Uh, and I'd be like, I don't have much money or I don't have any. I can afford one or two drinks, um, but that's it. 
And she'd be like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. I'll get you drinks. That's absolutely fine. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's really nice. Thank you. Uh, we'd go out and then her other friends would turn up and she'd accuse, she'd start saying that I was scrounging off of her. Um, and there was another, like, with the same person. We went to Brighton for her birthday. Um, and again, like, I was working part-time at that point, but I was like, okay, I can afford to pay half the hotel that we're staying in, a couple of drinks, and obviously the train um, and stuff to get up there and some food. She was like, that's absolutely fine. Um, but then last minute, she invited another friend, which meant we had to get a more expensive train. We had to sneak this friend into the hotel when she shouldn't have been in there. We ended up not staying in the hotel because this friend was sick in the shower and there was like, oh my God, we can't stay in here. We need to go. And again, she was saying, oh, Brian didn't pay for anything. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, are you going to tell everybody the rest of what happened? Um, but because people would do that, they do gang up on you and start thinking, oh shit, what have I done? And you end up apologising. Yeah. So like, in terms of gaming, actually, I, I think like... Um, person that I was in a relationship with about four years ago um our connection was gaming at one point yeah um that's how we started like started getting to know each other and because of that lack of sense of self when we broke up I didn't want to go near video games at all because it was too painful to even like play a video game it sounds stupid but because because there was that kind of emotional connection I was like I don't want anything and this is the thing like I've had exes kind of accuse me of being cold or heartless because after we've broken up, I'd go on Facebook or whatever and delete pictures of us together. Um, but for me, I'd done it because I was like, okay, this is going to be very triggering to look at these pictures, so I'm going to delete them. Yeah. Um, and But also, like, I had quite a lot of messy breakups a lot of the time. I think, especially with, like, gay relationships i think it was more common to kind of have long distance relationships um at one point for me anyway so you know things would always be over text or over facetime which like i think since being with my partner now i've recognized that does not work as as a means of communicating issues Um, um like i think it's much more productive when it's in person um because then like i have the anxiety of like oh god what's going to happen when i hang up the phone or sometimes i'll hang up the phone because i just don't want to talk and then it kind of like spirals yeah sorry i'm rambling <laughs> no 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 cool. trust me shoes used to it <laughs> <laughs> no that's cool i've got i've got so many questions already yeah um, well mm-hmm. just fascinating just with that i mean there's a couple of bits you mentioned actually that i i, I see in myself it's in terms of um like in terms of relationships maybe not um like loving relationships or like with, with my partner or, or anything like that but more in terms of friendships i i, mm. I come across as very cold um i don't do hugging or touching or anything like that when you've got some friends who do do that and they're hugging and i just like oh no please don't i come across as very cold and distant and mm-hmm. people often think that i i I'm being socially awkward on purpose and often don't invite me to things and, and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, I remember once being at a, a hockey, like an ice hockey gathering. We was at a weekend tournament. Uh, my son played ice hockey at the time and there was a big barbecue and everything. And I just wasn't in the right frame of mind for it, but you still expected to go. And I just, mm-hmm. like, I just felt everyone was looking at me. Everyone was looking at me because I was being cold. I was like sh- short one word answers uh, and things like that. Yeah. And I would often hear people talk talk about me being like a, a cold personality, not somebody who's easy to talk to, um, which is really would get to me because nothing could be further from the truth, could it, Stu? Really, I like to talk. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, so what you're saying sort of reads very, very true that I think people paint you into a, a a certain position and go that's where you are um and that can always that, like that you start to then start going to yourself is that who i am yeah but you can't but then you go but that's not who i am i'm trying to be the opposite of that so i don't know why i come across as that yeah. and i think especially when they also won't take the time to sit down and understand you you know like i think when i first i was in the process of getting diagnosed with bpd i remember i sent 
this particular partner just a YouTube video, just because obviously I didn't know how to really explain it for myself at that point, um, just kind of hopefully help him have a better perspective. And he was just like, oh, well, do you just think I'm not doing enough then? And um, it almost felt like, uh, I know like at some point I recognised that I was asking too much sometimes of partners or friends. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, surely it's not too much to be a bit more accommodating. Like for with with friends, you know, like like you said, you know, about like kind of short one word answers or seeming cold or even just seeming uncomfortable. But because it's a group of friends, you know, like they have that very much that majority rules kind of mindset. They're like, oh, yeah, but you're the only one that's uncomfortable. Yeah. So, you know, we're happy for you to sit there and be uncomfortable while we're all absolutely fine. I had another friend where whenever I'd call them out for saying something like quite shitty or they had a habit of kind of dropping plans with me last minute for other people or whatever. And or like they'd have me waiting all day. So I'm like, well, I'm guessing they're not turning up. I'll do other stuff. Um, and then when I call them out on it again, they're like, oh, well, you've got an attitude. Um, and I think it's a thing where it builds and well, I think it builds to, to a little for a little bit, and then you think, okay, I'll confront them about it in a calm way. You do that, and then you met with that, and then you go back and yourself. You think, you know what? I'm not going to bother. I'll just um, again, I'll just make sure everyone else is fine. Um, I'll do other stuff around them because um, it very much felt like my needs were always secondary. Yeah. Um, mm. And it's not to say, you know, like, because I think obviously, like, people do need to prioritize themselves, of course. But if it's always you that's the, the, the accusing of being the problem, maybe it's them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I, I recognize a lot of that in, in types of behavior in, in other people, probably sometimes in my own behavior when I was growing up, particularly. And mm. particularly going, going out with, groups of you know hetero males um Mm. in my teens that was very much a thing of you know banter of of trying to assert yourself and trying to be the one who's the funniest or the sharpest or the you know the cleverest or the biggest drinker or any Mm. of those sorts of things and it's kind of like as a as a sort of self-protection thing anybody who doesn't keep up can very very much be excluded quite quickly because they're seen as vulnerable. But even extending it past that, you know, people who've been in abusive relationships, like somebody I know who's who's had several marriages and they were all to abusers, it's there's obviously a common there's a common thing that resonates with that person. So they want that they feel they want to be in that kind of relationship or they feel attached, like you said about attachment mm-hmm. theories and stuff, feel attached to that kind of behaviour and also don't have the kind of self worth you know, because of the way that they've been brought up mm. to recognise that as abusive behaviour. And of course, this is all on the abuser. I'm not victim blaming whatsoever. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. And then in retrospect, you're like, oh my God, you know, all of those behaviours are so obvious now and they're so terrible. What I is, I'm just learning now as I'm getting older and, and thankfully through things like TikTok, ironically, and, and your content and others is people with neurodivergent behavior as it's so labeled very often that's part of the reason you know that's very why uh we don't understand as well and neurotypical people don't understand and exploit everybody else who is neurodivergent and it suddenly all starts clicking so the stuff that you're doing and the things that you're explaining now i find really really important and really useful and they're fitting things together. And I'm like, I'm at this, even at my age going, I'm learning so much. <laughs> it's teaching me so much mm-hmm. about the way the world works. Yeah. I mean, I saw like, I saw an interesting video um, the other day, like this, I think this is more about like abusive family systems, but I think this can also be with friends or partners and things where, you know, I've been accused of this where like, because I'm talking about my experiences, I've been accused of, you know, airing the dirty laundry or kind of like ironically like i've been accused of playing the victim because i'm calling out the times when i was a victim um yeah with my internal world i'm always thinking it's my fault um but how i express that i think sometimes it comes across that i'm not thinking of other people 
or playing the victim because I'm always blaming myself. Because, you know, like with some stuff, I've been like, oh, I won't report this. I won't call this out because they're going through a hard time. And you constantly make up all these justifications, even because I think sometimes like, especially as and especially as like a teenager and stuff like, I think you're more likely to react in toxic ways to things because you're still learning. And so I think especially people that did know you like in your teens and stuff like they will throw that stuff in your face because you're calling out the stuff they're doing now. And then that's, I think that's a manipulation te- te- technique as well to kind of gaslight you into thinking, oh, yeah, well, I did do that. So, you know, maybe I am just as bad. Maybe I shouldn't be calling these people out. And yeah. I think it's also having that mindset, you know, like I see it a lot on Twitter where people are saying like, that, like forgiving somebody doesn't mean, no, yeah, forgiving somebody doesn't mean you have to let them back in your life or, you know, you can accept a pol- an apology but sometimes people won't flip flat the other way. Yeah. So they're okay with not forgiving others, but they don't like it when pe- other people don't forgive them. Um, and, you know, I think I think we're all guilty to that at some point. I think I was like, especially growing up, but, you know, there are some people in my life that they, they may well have changed um, since when things have happened. But that doesn't mean I have to forgive them for what they did then. And, you know, people just ha- have just as much, ha- just as much right to do that with me, regardless, you know, again, whether like, you know, I personally feel like I've changed, but, you know, those people may still have negative experiences of me, I think. Um, Cause you know, I was going to say that I was quite reactive to things, um, but I think being a highly sensitive person, you just kind of have, thinner skin for stuff but as, like even like you were saying earlier about um banter um you know i think banter is all good but i think some people kind of try and disguise like insults or you know like yeah passive aggressive digs at you as banter yeah um, totally. and like but i think coming from a background of abuse and like bullying and stuff like it's hard to interpret, okay, are they genuinely joking or is there a, you know, passive-aggressive tone to that? Yeah, that's the hardest thing, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I say, I was badly bullied at school. Again, I, I'm very mm. open about this in terms of I tried to kill myself three times when I was at school um, Sorry. Because, because of the bullying. Um, no, it's fine. I'm absolutely open. I'm fine with it. Now, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I think that's the best way to be with it. Um and I still find it a struggle to know that when someone is trying to have banter, quote unquote, with me, mm-hmm. whether they are genuinely just trying to have a laugh or whether it is a sly dig. And I I don't often understand. When I, I, I sort of come back with what I consider what they think is banter and sometimes go over the top, mm-hmm. um, which then leads to issues because I've gone over the top. And it's like, well, I don't understand. It was just the same sort of banter you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very difficult to get that to get that right. Yeah, and like, because did you? Um, I'm just asking. Like, have you also experienced it where it's like people will have this mindset of like, it's okay if I do it, but not when you do it. Yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, and you know, so I think that's the thing. You know, like they'll villainize you for treating them how they treat you because they're kind of, you know, getting a taste of their own medicine. And I think like, like you're saying, you know, like attempting suicide three times, you know, I think it's, I understand, but again, like I said, you know, bullies can change um, possibly, but I find people say that depending who it is. So if it's their kid bullying someone, for example, but oh, that's just kids being kids. But if it's their kid being bullied, they're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. We need to put a stop to it. Um, and, like, one of the... Fu- like, again, understanding people can change. But one of the funniest things is seeing people I went to school with who were absolute assholes to me at school, sharing things about, like, mental health awareness week, suicide yeah. prevention, uh, anti-bullying. I'm like, 
have you thought about your own behaviour? Where's my fucking apology? Yeah, um, 100%. I, and, I, I've yeah. been there. Because, like, <laughs> I remember, like, I broke up with somebody a few years ago and it drove me to the point of suicide. I was in hospital and stuff. And, like, it's one of those things, I think, after you break up, you do check their social media a bit. And literally, I think it was, like, a few days after I came out of hospital, he was sharing stuff about suicide prevention. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And... Because even like when I had, cause I had a breakdown in early 2020, um, as a result of these kind of performative mental health groups, especially that are on Facebook, um, there's an admin in there kind of groomed me and took advantage, which resulted in a breakdown. Um, there was somebody who I was friends with on Twitter, like before all that. Um, he was aware what happened. He knew what mental health group it was, etc. He's now admin for them. And yes. I'm like, so clearly you don't care. It's just about making sure you look good. And even when I called it out to the creator of this group, because they've been on TV, you know, they've raised money for charity and stuff. Um, I literally got a message from one of them saying, oh, well, we don't really want to do anything so we, we don't because of how this may tarnish the group. Yeah. Yeah. It, so but, so quick, a quick question from me then. So when you when you find yourself in these difficult situations sometimes, do you have any like coping strategies that you use or is there a particular person that you trust that you can go to? You know, how do you deal with the consequences and the fallout of things happening like this? That's thing, I, I think I don't cope well at all. I think, um, especially while I was still living at home, I think it was a very quick kind of step from being okay to being in crisis um so there was no preemptive things to put in place i think for me at that point it was either i'm okay i'm in crisis um whereas now i think i'm a bit better at kind of recognizing okay things are starting to get bad for me you know i'll i, I think this is the thing i think before as well i would try talking to the doctors and they'd just kind of be quite dismissive with it yeah because um, unfortunately, I think in my mind, I'm like, I need to be articulate and stuff to get the right help. So then I'll go into like, you know, like an assessment or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, well, you seem fine. I'm like, I'm being, but because I was like, oh, I don't want to say anything. Like, I was like, okay, I must be fine then. Um, but sometimes they just don't listen. Like, there's this weird thing again i think like society whether that's like professional people or just people in general they're kind of like oh reach out if you're struggling <laughs> and then you reach out and they'll be like oh but if you were really struggling you wouldn't reach out <laughs> yeah people oh. it's when you get people put up the my door's always open this my, my table's always there and you, mm. you kind of you start to just just test the water dip your toe in and see how willing they are and mm. yeah not at all not at all yeah i mean i think like i think like a little caveat to that i think like for me i think i think it's very individual but i think for me it's recognizing now that because i know i take things literally i think you know that's an autistic thing like if people say always but like, i won't think oh they're asleep or oh they're at work i think oh they said always so i'll call them at inappropriate times um but also for my own well-being so i think for the longest time like i even had a friend say that i'm like a therapist and like yeah. a red flag went off a bit but i'd be like oh but they're going uh, i over empathize but oh but they probably mean that in a different way and that again that's what keeps me like in toxic situations yeah. but now i'm very much saying i'll be there for you if i can um if i have the capacity um or i'll get back to you when i can um which I think it's a tough pill to swallow because I think also I was on the other side of that when people wouldn't outright help me sometimes yeah, because they had stuff going on. But now I very much understand that, you know, that people do need to put themselves first. But I think in terms of coping, like, I, I would say, like, with video games and stuff, like, I've noticed recently, sometimes I dissociate while playing. Yeah, yes. But I think because, like... I don't know about you, I think, especially because I know like people with ADHD and autism and stuff, they do game a lot more than an average person. But I was always quite shamed for liking video games and stuff. Mm. And even this thing of like, where people are like, oh, you played video games five hours today. 
you're addicted. I'm like, you wouldn't say that about somebody that's reading a book for five hours. No. <laughs> and like, because, you know, I think also video games are a great way for neurodiverse people to learn about things or to process things. Um, and yeah, I think like video games for me, like, I think there was a period where I stopped playing them um, just because like at that point in my life, I think I was trying to fit to this neurotypical kind of, oh, you go out Friday night, you do that, like you do other things rather than doing what I wanted. Cause I was like, oh, people don't like video games. So I don't play that anymore, which comes back into that kind of lack of sense of self. Yeah. Cause, yeah. And with a mix of fear of abandonment, so I'm like, okay, I want these people to like me. So I, and they don't like Pokemon. So I'll hide all my Pokemon stuff in a drawer. I'll do this instead. I remember I'd done that with a partner a few years ago. Like all of a sudden I was ashamed of like the Pokemon posters and stuff I had on my walls. Like I, I, I took them down and hid them somewhere. Hey God, bro, there's yeah. people out there that don't like Pokemon. Apparently. <laughs> I know it's, I can hardly believe it myself. <laughs> go on, carry on, go on, sorry. Uh, no, yeah, it was just like, I, like hide things or like i also had like music's a big help for me i love to go out walking and listen to music i love to sing not that i can sing very well uh, <laughs> but um like again i had this weird toxic things with friends as well like i remember like i had like one friend like they'd come to my house for free drinks they'd tell me to put music on but then they'd be like, oh, don't put any of your shitty game game music on. I'm like, you're literally in my house. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think now I'm very much like, I'm getting very much like, did they think when they said things like that at all? Mm. Yeah. Cause you can't turn around and go, ah, oh, don't put your shitty dance music on because that's I mean, not, I would. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's not socially acceptable to say that. You know, it's no. people like listening to that. Well, I like listening to the Zelda soundtrack. Thank you very much. It's, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's like my, my, I get quite obsessive over things I like. So I, I, I went through a phase, still in a phase where my absolute favourite music artist is Jenny Lewis. Mm-hmm. And I remember going out once and asking the DJ if he had any Jenny Lewis, and he just looked at me like I'd shat on his decks. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's like, who the fuck is that? Yeah, like. You mean you're not playing Calvin Harris? Like, yeah. I mean, too, I think now, like, if I had a jukebox, it would be full. Of, it would be full of like depressing country music. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's you really have hit a low there. <laughs> if I'm wanting, if, if I'm wanting to cry, everybody else is going to be crying. Sorry, yes, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. fair enough. That's fair. Enough. I find that fair, yeah. But yeah. I've, I mean, I've only recently discovered like um, lo-fi, like. Uh, video game soundtrack music. Um, I was playing on the other day some lo-fi Animal Crossing ambient music going on and it was just so relaxing. I love the Animal Crossing music. Like, this is going to sound weird but sometimes I find like wholesome stuff makes me want to cry. Yeah. It's a very good feeling. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, especially like nostalgia especially for Animal Crossing Wild World for example. Um, I think it's like the 11 p.m. or the 1 a.m. hourly music. And I'm like, that literally makes me want to, want to cry because it's so peaceful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it makes <laughs> so, you feel so much. How yeah. do you think like video games have like helped you with like mental health and stuff? I'll let Stu answer first because I'll probably have a bit more of a longer form answer. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it's brief, but it's not <laughs> because I, I probably don't credit games with the the value that they have had to my life and i think it's because very much like you were saying right of you know sometimes you pack that stuff away mentally you pack it away from your conception of yourself as an adult especially if you grew up playing games and you had any negative connotations yeah well games are not you know they're not for adults sort of mentally pack that kind of stuff away as a child thing but Looking back, it's it's been so valuable. And I remember really, really clearly that when my dad died, because my dad, I'm not just saying this to like, like garner yeah, sympathy or anything, but my dad died when I was 13. And oh. I I played games a lot during the grieving period. And I wasn't avoiding the grief from my age really, really well. But the, oh. the games were so helpful. 
to me and just kind of like regulating how I felt in them. You know, um, they just okay. kind of like, they're a constant, you know, they're, they're non-judgmental. They don't have peaks of, of emotion. Uh, I could go on. But anyway, the point mm. is that I kind of look back now and go, oh yeah, and I can see how games just regulate my feelings. That's a lot of hobbies do for people. They've helped regulate my feelings like, all the way through my life. And a pretty much, I think, a 99.9 occurring percent in a really positive way. So yeah, that's my answer. Mm. Yeah, always been really helpful. Yeah, uh, for me, it's it's very similar in a way where uh, I used to try and play certain video games for certain moods, and that that changed as I, I as I got older. Um, I used to think oh, I had to play a happy game to try and make me feel happy, or um, uh-huh. try and avoid violent games because in case it t- makes me want to do to do certain things or anything like that. Because I didn't believe the stories of violent video games can make you violent, but I was like, oh, what if there is something there? So I'll, I'll, I'll try and avoid those. Uh-huh. Um, and I've spoke about this on the podcast before. I've written articles about it about. How one day I was, I had a knife packed in my bag ready for school because I was bullied the, the day before, like a couple of days before that. The bullying was so bad. I was, and the teachers weren't protecting me that I was going to go in and I was going to take the lives basically of the teachers who had robbed me and the students who had robbed me. But played a video game. I think I'd played like Sonic or something like that mm-hmm. um, the night before. And it just calmed me down enough just to sort of go, well, Brad take the knife out don't do anything silly but it's now i mean i've realized that therapeutic therapeutic games could be anything you know i'm just as happy going and shooting like demons and aliens in the face uh with shotguns and that will make me feel better as i am unwinding with like animal crossing or pokemon or tetris and things like that Mm. and i think video games have this way of of allowing you just to escape your everyday more than I think any other medium because I think every other medium there is there you could be dragged out of easily a book you could easily be dragged away from music you could easily be dragged away from you know watching a film or tv things like that it's it's whereas a video game is so engaging because you've got everything else that those other mediums give you all in one package and you can really use them to, 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 I hate using the word get over things, but in that way, sort of like get over whatever feeling you've got at that point or enhance that feeling if you need it to do that. Yeah, I think it also has like an element of like, because you're playing a video game, like you have a sense of control over, especially things like RPGs, you know, where you have to kind of like pick what to do with your character. I think like that's a great way to, kind of be like okay how would i respond in this situation or what would this character in particular choose to say or choose to do in video games and yeah i think like what you touched upon about kind of like playing games for different moods or you know going back to the kind of um thinking that violent video games make somebody violent it's the same thing that I think I sort of have with TV shows now. Like I used to love watching TV TV shows, but now I'm just so scared that things are going to be triggering that I just mm. rewatch the same thing. Or sometimes, like I think with video games, like especially when it comes with with depression, like I'll put a game on and then like I just stare at like the title screen, or I can't pick what to play, or it's just too much energy to play it. Um, but also, I think like with ADHD and like never finishing stuff I get bored and then I start playing something else and I have like a ton of unfinished games because I'm like oh well you know I've kind of lost interest in that now but then I'll go and play it again I'm like I have no idea what I'm fucking doing yeah Um, (laughs) what the controls are and like so I've, I've been tempted to like start doing streaming like I've got a PS4 camera and stuff but this is the unfortunate thing like I'll type into YouTube how to stream on a budget and they're like you need at least 800 pounds i'm like how is that on a budget yeah what you need to ask yourself and this is something this is why i'm not streaming at the moment uh mm. two reasons one because i've got my my uh, physical issues with my vision and stuff like that yeah. but also i was trying to stream to build numbers for mhg mm-hmm. um, and the numbers weren't growing so 
it really depends. Why do you want to stream? Do you want to stream to make a career out of it? In which case, you've got to consider that's when you think you need to consider this is what you need to get set up. Mm. Or do you want to stream for you as just you know a way to escape or a way to sort of get things across? Whether you're doing that to one person, zero people, a hundred people, a thousand really doesn't matter. And to be honest with you, if you're doing it for you mm. and you could go out, get the cheapest capture card. So if you only want to use it for streaming, you don't need to be a professional streamer. It's one thing I have discovered. If you look at my YouTube videos and stuff like that, I was like, I, initially I was like, I've got to try and make it professional. I've got to try and make it professional. I stopped caring. Yeah. I don't do scripts. I don't do scripts because I, I, oh. I, there's no point me doing a script. It comes across as so false that it's, there's no what, point. That's the thing because like... I thought about that because like, I'd done, like, I think I started YouTube, uh, YouTube about, I, I originally started YouTube, like, 2011, but when I started doing, like, my proper mental health content was, like, 2018 and stuff, and, like, watching all these videos where people were, like, oh, yeah, well, I've scripted it, and I'm, like, for me, I'm, like, for mental health stuff, I'm, like, I feel it's better to be not scripted, but I think the caveat with that is having ADHD, because... I'll record a video, I'll finish recording, then, I'm like, then I'll upload it, thinking that's everything, and then I'm like, oh shit, I was supposed to talk about that, completely forgot. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I don't like talking too much to a script or or anything, just because, yeah, it just comes across like so fake, and I don't know, it just seems quite rigid. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to, to, to give like anyone who's listening as well just a little bit of behind the scenes, when Stu edits these, he might edit out segments where we've gone on about something for, for too long. So we might be talking about a game and we've maybe repeated mm-hmm. something for five, ten minutes more than we needed, needed to. And he'll cut that out. But very rarely will he cut out my stumbling over things and stuff like that because it's, there's just no point because that's it's not who mm-hmm. I am. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> a scripted thing from from me um or anything like that and you're right with mental health talk if you read it from a script it comes across as false it needs to be Mm -hmm. natural and to be honest with you i always find it kind of funny when you see people that have got a teleprompter in a youtube video it really is distracting to me when you see their eyes following the teleprompter Mm -hmm. um even if it's just a little and i concentrate on that and i don't take in what it says Uh uh-huh so I'm, I'm all for more people just going completely, just one take and it's done. Just one take and it's done. That's you. Mm-hmm. And I think especially mental health content, whether it's video games, whether it's just pure mental health or anything, it's got to come straight from the heart, the brain, just wherever it's coming from, and out. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's the take. Because that's always when I think, especially when you've got ADHD um, and, you're, and you're neurodivergent, that first take is the most honest because you're not overthinking it. I think that's definitely true as when you're talking about uh, emotional subjects and personal subjects, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, you know, anyone who takes that into, you know, a stream or a YouTube, that authenticity is really important. I, you know, obviously it doesn't necessarily apply yeah. to something that's more technical or, you know, more about, you know, giving over information or reviews or whatever. I mean, it does sometimes, but it, it does vary. But yeah, I would say, like Brad said, if you if you want to do it, cheapest stuff you can and just do it for yourself. And if other people like it, that's great. Um, but I can imagine that fe- <laughs> thinking ahead of what people's reactions to you are going to be mm. may be one of the big blockers and, and yeah. the big stumbling blocks. Yeah, and I think, like, that's even been an issue with even, like, my mental health content, like, talking about, like, being authentic and stuff. Like, again, with the BPD and, like, lack of sense of self and kind of often wanting to please other people, like, (laughs) ironically, I went to record a video about having a lack of sense of self the other day, and then I was like, nope, this is not what people want to hear. People could not give a crap about me, you know, like, what I'm saying is not what people want to say. And also, like, I think, because I had therapy yesterday and when talking about um, abuse and stuff, I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I feel like it's quite gossipy. And my therapist was like, why do you think it's gossipy? I was not expecting to kind of be questioned on that. And I think it's because, because, yeah, because recently I've had somebody try and out me um, because I've been calling out their stuff 
Right. And so I'm cur- I've currently got this mindset now of like, I don't want to be too honest in case people start attacking me. Um, just because, again, like I know I'm very sensitive. I know that I'll be crying in bed for a day if somebody says something horrible. And so I'm struggling to be authentic in a way where... <sighs> Thing is, I think I think about too like other people too much. Yeah. Um, d- despite like learning in recovery that other people's emotions and stuff aren't my responsibility. And to be honest, I think at the end of the, at the end of the day, when people chose to abuse me, they lost that right. You know, they chose to do yeah. those things. It's on them. Uh, but saying it now, it's all very logical. But then trying to kind of implement it, I'm like. I just won't say anything and then I'll just do a lip sync TikTok instead or yeah, something that's less personal. Um, just because like I've literally had it where I've been recording something uh, mid sentence. I've gone, nope. And pressed the stop button like to stop recording. And it's, it's hard. Cause like I've always wanted to come across as authentic. And I think also like with the current way, I think especially Twitter, like Twitter can be quite toxic. Um, where people will kind of demand they do know everything about you and then things you do want to leave out, they'll be like, oh, see, but, but why why are you not talking about this? Or, you know, there must be something, you know, like, you know, there's some things I, don't, I genuinely don't want to talk about, about my past and stuff, um, but it doesn't take away from the stuff that I am talking about. Um, but... Um, I think especially like <sighs> trying to be authentic with cause the other thing I struggle with is kind of like making new friends. Um, I discussed this with my partner that like because I've very much curated who I have around me, like my closest friend, she lives about an hour away and she's very busy. I hardly ever get to see her. Um, and so when I'm not with my partner, I'm alone a lot. But it's quite scary to be authentic with new people. Um, I think for me, like recording videos, doing podcasts or whatever, it's a bit easier for me to open up because like, in a sense, I feel like, okay, I am sharing deep stuff, but there's not, there's not a close relationship with people there at that point. So there's not as much of a fear of abandonment or, Mm, or rejection. Um, And so trying to make new friends is very hard i think especially like i think i've tried like on online i've tried discord or twitter and stuff and like recognizing i don't have as much capacity as i used to either like you know like trying to arrange like facetimes or or chats like sometimes it gets too much even just responding to messages because i think because i've got a lot going on i'm awaiting my autism assessment results i'm I'm awaiting to have the adhd assessment there's a lot going on so like i'm very forgetful it's like i kind of want to wait for things to calm down um and so it's i think it's kind of currently learning to try and be authentic with myself before going for other people definitely um, a, yeah. a, a lot of what you say reads very true for for me as well like my my closest friend my oldest friend is half hour down the road but i don't get to see her uh purely because I'm busy with my kids. She's busy with her kids. Um, but mm-hmm. also at the moment, I'm still suffering from long COVID. I've been bunged up since August, September of last year. I just cannot right. shift this cold. Um, and this being is bunged up. And her partner at the um, uh, towards the end of the year and the start of this year um, was diagnosed with, with a form of cancer. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't want to go round and potentially risk making him even ill. Mm. But then I start feeling guilty that I'm not going around and visiting, but I'm doing it because I don't want to make any, him any worse yeah. um, mm-hmm. at, at, at the same time. But what I've I found myself is now there's, there's two things I look forward to every week. Uh, bizarrely, one of them is going to get my, my foot ulcer checked because I've got an ulcer at the bottom mm-hmm. of my foot because of diabetes. Uh, going to get that checked because the uh, my podiatrist there is lovely and she loves to talk as well. So we'll chat for a full half hour. So that's got like my, one of my social engagements for the week. And the other is doing the podcast with Stu. Honestly, if I mm-hmm. didn't have that, I'd, I'd feel so lost now. I mean, we've been doing this, what, now, two years, Stu? Every yeah, week? pretty much. Yeah, 
you know, he'd probably love to take a few weeks off, give his ears a rest, but he can't. A few years. Yeah, uh, yeah a few years. Um, <laughs> it's, but I look forward to it. It's an important part of my life now. Um, but what, what I wanted to ask you, and this is something I started doing, um, it took me a long while to probably get the bravery to do it. When you do meet new people or you introduce yourself to new people, how much of yourself do you introduce? Because I'm very open now. Like, yeah, nice to meet you. Um, Within a few minutes, it's, uh, you know, just let know a bit about me. Talking, yeah, I've got ADHD, you know, potentially, you know, I, I suffer from depression, et cetera, et cetera. Do you, are you quite open with that early or is that something you still hold back with? Yeah, I mean, it, it is very much like, hi, nice to meet you. Here's my trauma. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, and your account number is, you know, like, <laughs> like it's, it's a hard balance. I think because I think also it's trying to have a, so growing up, like being with, being around toxic people and not having much confidence, like I would be in a shell a lot. I'd be quite shy. Um, but what I noticed is like, this was like very far and few between, but when I was with one or two like healthy people, I felt more confident. I felt like I could talk about stuff. Yeah. And so there has definitely been like a divide between living at home and moving out and having my own space, creating my own identity and cutting people out and things where I start to question again, like going back to like being authentic to question that authenticity because for so, because you know, like people have accused me of, of, like people of my past have accused me of being fake because of again like my youtube videos or whatever and i think what people don't understand is like of course you're not going to be this confident around abusive people because you will be abused and so when it comes to new people i separate it's hard to separate kind of what i do do with my with my mental health advocacy because like the internet is a separate space and you kind of forget there's real people out there that don't have those opinions. Yeah. And so like, there's been times where I think where, where I'm like, cause I'm so used to kind of the community I've built and stuff that I automatically think everybody's going to be understanding about stuff. And then, you know, I hear something that they might say, like not necessarily directly to me, but I'm like, Oh, okay. They have this opinion. Um, but yeah, I tend to overshare and then regret it. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, I think, I think I understand that can also, like, scare people away from, you know, saying such heavy stuff, like, early into a friendship, into a relationship. Trying to fight the my kind of default thing to be like, oh, that, that, I mean, I'm fine talking about that. So I think, unfortunately, I think with abusive people, they kind of rely on you to open up that early on so then they can use that. So, like, this is the thing. Like, I think I tried. I think I met up with. I think last time I met up with some new people was either the beginning of this year or end of last year. I only met up with them once, um, but I'm not sure whether it was just because of you know, COVID and stuff as well. It was quite exhausting um, trying to read. Like, okay, is this okay to talk about it or? Even just reading like people's silences sometimes. I'm like, oh god, I've made them really uncomfortable. And then I'll withdraw and think, okay, I won't talk anymore. I'll let them talk. Um, it's yeah. like, even like now, like, I know obviously like you wanted me to go on the podcast and stuff. I'm like, I'm talking too much. Um, <laughs> You've got some way to go, Brian. You've got some way to go yet. <laughs> That's fine. I think like the trouble is I think with, with, with ADHD as well, though, I think ADHD brains, you tend to do go on tangents and, little side stories and stuff and your head's all over the place so it, like end up giving like very long-winded answers to things yeah oh yeah you get you you do get from a to b via one two and car um yeah i mean that's the thing that like, it could even just be somebody in costa being like do you want sugar <laughs> i'm like well this morning i built <laughs> some sugar i don't know like but i find like for me it's like extremes it'll either be like one word answers or again just loads of tangents there's no in between oh yeah no, no definitely just... and it's like just for for example i mean i can't do like 
dead air. As soon as there's like a silence, I'm like, I have to fill it. It's just something in my brain goes, oh, you've got to fill this, this, mm-hmm. this dead air. Do not let dead air be part of it. Forgetting, like, for example, if we do get some, Stu can easily edit it out. Well, I'll probably make it mm-hmm. more difficult for me by filling it. Uh, but it's like, you know, uh, if it was doing our normal podcast, I was probably going to talk a bit about um, having to tell my daughter uh, yesterday her favourite footballer is leaving Liverpool women. And instead of just going, oh, she was really gutted, I know when I tell that story, I'd have had to have gone off to some tangent about how we got to her being a favourite player and stuff like that. Well, I've possibly mentioned it before. I don't know, but I will fill in all those gaps. But it won't just be about the football. It'll be about other stuff she's done and and so on and so on. Oh, and that orange I had this morning or whatever, because it's just it just pops in. And obviously with the ADHD, you're probably very aware, Brian, is you'll get random thoughts popping that just go, well, well, no, I'm coming out your mouth at the same time as well. Yeah, and I think also, like, you think every detail is relevant to what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so I think I had this, like, with my therapist. Um, like, I think, like, he asked a question or something, and I literally went back and forth between, like, something that happened three years ago, something that happened ten years ago, something that happened last week, something, like, that has that has no relevance, but I felt like it was relevant to give a backstory of it being relevant and then they're like okay let's go they're always like okay let's circle back to this i'm like i didn't realize oh sorry (laughs) um but yeah i think also the other thing for me is like unfortunately i think the mix of like bpd and adhd and i think you know especially with dissociation and stuff like it's very hard to process verbal information um, me and my partner spoke about it where like because I, I said to him I was like, I, I, I'm worried that like people think that I don't listen to them so I can't remember stuff um, or like I, sometimes I can't remember details so what would happen is like my partner might say he's got like a, a work meeting or something and to me that's the important information um, because obviously because like he works in a castle and stuff like he talks about loads of museum stuff which to, I think my brain's like, okay, that's not relevant. You don't need to yeah. remember that. You need to remember, okay, he's got a meeting at two o'clock. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's exactly how it is. Is is with me. And the other one I get is the subconscious of if I could be sat, we could be sat there, me and my partner watching telly, and she'll comment on something or mention something, and I clearly haven't heard it, but subconsciously I have, and literally. Two, three seconds later, I'll repeat what she said. And she'll look at me and just go, I've just said that. No, you never. I think, unfortunately, I think with, especially with ADHD and kind of kind of having that forgetfulness and processing those processing issues, I feel like that makes you more susceptible to for people to gaslight you. Yeah. Because they'll be like, oh, you're remembering it wrong. And you think, oh, well, I, my memory is bad. So maybe I did remember it wrong. Um, or even if like, I've called someone out like straight away. Like, why did you say that? And then I'm like, oh, you're just interpreting it wrong. Oh, no, that's not what I said. Um, it, it, it comes into so many different walks as well. I mean, when we talk about, when we're talking about games we've played and stuff like that, mm. I could have literally just got off a game uh, because I think the names of characters or names of certain skills, depending on what the game is and stuff like that, really aren't the relevant information to me. I, uh-huh. You know, Stu will clarify this. I'm forever just going, yeah, the character who was called something, but I can't remember what they were called, even though they're the main character. Um, and, and things mm-hmm. like, it's just not relevant to me to what the game is, um, which is just really bizarre because to some people it is the most important thing. But then afterwards, I'll say, I've said it all, I'll be sat there going, oh man, people are going to think I haven't actually played this game because I can't remember certain aspects of it. But it's, you know, it becomes mm-hmm. not the case. And it's the same with films and music and things like that. I recognise a song, couldn't tell you what it was called, couldn't tell you who sung it, couldn't tell you the lyrics, I will recognise it. Uh, but I can mm. remember the most minute detail about some film I saw 16 years ago and they get frustrated when other people can't yeah because like for me with video games though i think i'm more of a gameplay person than story like yeah it's i think because i think i'm a visual learner so i can take things in by what's happening on the screen but reading the text like it doesn't compute 
So I think that's why, like, I probably wouldn't play, like, graphic novel stuff because there's just too much text. And I'm like, this is not a game. I'm sorry. Um, but so I, I love, I love like, watching, like, Pokemon YouTubers where they kind of do, like, oh, 10, top 10, you know, like, Pokemon characters or Pokemon from each generation or Easter eggs and stuff. Like, despite playing some of the games, like, probably at least three times, I'm like, I do not remember this. Yeah. Well, I don't... Though, like, it's a I, I only found out five years ago that you're not playing as Ash. Yeah. <laughs> I've played every Pokemon game. I didn't know you mm. wasn't Ash until about five years ago. Did you call every character Ash? No, I don't. I think I, I don't. I think I used to give him my name, but I, as far as I was concerned, it was Ash from the from the uh, oh. from the anime. Um, I, yeah, just, I just assumed you was playing as Ash because yeah, just yeah, just one of the, one of those things. Other stories stick with me. So the story in Persona 4, um, Golden, that stuck with me, mm-hmm. as did the story in The Last of Us. That stuck with me more than the gameplay. Right. But other stuff, you know, The Last of Us 2, uh, couldn't care. Did not care one little mm-hmm. bit. But the story in The Last of Us, yeah, stuck with me. I suppose, like, I don't know whether, like, as well, like, it depends what your mental state is when you're playing those particular games. Like, so I think, like, even like going through like my PS4 like trophy list, there'll be things I'm like I do not remember playing that, um, or especially yeah. on, on like my 3DS. And so I think like if you're playing something where it is quite dissociative and you're not really thinking about it, you're probably not going to remember as much. Except you might remember oh I remember seeing like this guy and there was a lake or something. Um, versus like oh okay this happened if like you were relatively attentive to it, but it's weird because, like, I think the only <laughs> the only time I think I've cried at a video game was the end of Kingdom Hearts three. All right, but I think it was just because it was. I think it was just because it was nostalgic. Yeah, because there was such a big wait between two and three, and Kingdom Hearts is like one of my favorite franchises. And like, I think I even like cried like with like the opening <laughs> credits. I was like, oh my god, it's finally here. Yeah. Um, whereas like the story, fuck knows. Uh, <laughs> but yeah i think like although i think so, i like things like life is strange i think like games a lot i think like you said you know playing different games with different moods like because i've been currently on like a rpg thing i do get a bit bored so then i don't complete them i know sometimes people say to like use like a palette cleanser um but like this year i recently just like really got into yokai watch um such a great series i think like cause it was always called like a pokemon ripoff clone um but it's actually like i think especially because like yoko watch 3 i bought that digitally because that the physical copy is like really rare um but it's been a while since i've been that immersed in, in a new franchise like because yeah. i think the trouble is like i'm, I'm never one of those completionist people like oh 100 things like there's too much um like even with like, po- I think I think the thing is I know like with ADHD, it's often you'll always do things like eighty percent and then you'll stop. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Pokemon. Um, that 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 scares me going into newer generations. It's just like there's just too many. I just you know give me Pikachu, give me Grookey. <laughs> I've noticed a pattern with Pokemon though. I think like depending what generation you start with depends on what generation people see most fondly. Yeah. Like for me, like I, I was a Pokemon fan from like when it first came out, like with Gen One and stuff. But my first proper game wasn't until Ruby and Sapphire. So I think like I have a lot of memories with that, and I think because that was actually um, how I made really good friends with the friends that I'm still friends with now. Is that it's going to sound really weird? <laughs> I had I bought a pack of Pokemon cards that day. I think. And I was randomly just stood in my front garden, just staring at my Pokemon cards. Because why not? It's I don't even think it was that sunny. Um, but I was just like, yeah, let's look at Pokemon cards in the garden. And um, this girl starts like riding up on her on her bike, and then she stops. She's like, "Are those Pokemon cards?" And usually I'm like, "Oh god, you're gonna beat me up. You're gonna have a go. Like, what's gonna happen?" <laughs> so that was usually the case. Like, oh my god, you like Pokemon? So pathetic. And she's like, oh, no, I really like Pokemon. I was like, okay, cool. Do you want a Pokemon card? So I already got that one. Uh, and then we became friends since that. And um, it's actually quite a funny thing. So luckily, I had Pokemon Sapphire and she had Pokemon Ruby. 
Um, so now we do a thing like whenever there's a new Pokemon game coming out, we're like, okay, which one do you want? And usually we tend to want the opposite ones anyway. Yeah. So it works out fine. So we could do trading and stuff. Um, but just that first like summer, like playing Ruby and Sapphire together and having that shared experience was like such a great feeling that like, I have so many fond memories of that. I have this weird fear sometimes of experiencing stuff with people just in case that relationship ends. And then I know that those memories are going to upset me. It's yeah. a very weird fear. Uh, so I'm like, I'll just do things on my own. So there's no emotional connotations to it. And then it won't trigger me at all. I don't know whether like this is like, weird delusional thoughts, but I don't know if you've ever thought like what a TV show would be like if it's set in your town. I think because like I've sometimes done like skits on TikTok and stuff of like the kind of bullies and stuff that I have encountered. Yeah, and like just picturing like okay, like what would you know, what would my school bully be like in a TV show or kind of or even like the reality TV show, just like how people would come across. But then this is the other thing, like. It's scary when you think people have other people have different perceptions of you. Yeah, especially when you don't have a sense of self, because then you're like, okay, this person sees me like that, that person sees me like this. I see me like that. Which one's the real one? Especially because, like, again, like, so like sometimes I'd, I'd walk around like so in my head, like it would literally be like, how can people not hear what I'm thinking? So it very much seems like I'm having out loud thoughts. Yeah, like it's hard to explain. Um, but no, <laughs> kind of, you know, thinking, okay, how would this little, like, cause I live in quite a small town where everyone knows everyone. And <laughs> my mum's one of 13. So I have a huge family. Uh, <laughs> so can't walk two, two minutes down the road without seeing somebody I'm either related to, or I know from school. Um, so just kind of trying to think how that would be kind of portrayed on tv i mean here i think it's very much like people still have the mindsets of the 1940s yeah i remember like i think it was during black lives matter like seeing some people that i was friends with on facebook that i used to go to school with like some of the stuff they were sharing i was like oh my fucking god i'm embarrassed to know them like that is like those are like, like some really awful takes. Like you're being racist, um, I, I, and you know people are also still very much that thing of like I don't mind gay people, just don't shove it in our faces while you know they're strapping their boyfriend in the bread aisle in Sainsbury's. Um, you mean you're not? Surely you no, keep it localized I, I, to Morrison's. Well, exactly. They like, let that kind of stuff go there. You see. Right. Let's cut it there. Brian, I will, mm-hmm. uh, will happily have you on again. This is absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, so what we'll do, me and Brian will shut up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thanks ever so much, Brian. It's been fun. It's- thank you very much. It's been really good. Uh, and uh, yeah, enjoyed talking. So thank you. It's, it's been fascinating. It certainly has. It was great speaking to Brian. Fascinating, as Brad said. And we look forward to having him on again in the future. In the meantime, I hope you liked this episode. Follow us on all the socials, join our Discord if you feel like it, and, as usual, stay safe and stay sane.